Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Chris. And we're here to talk about Les Daubelique, starring Simone Signoret, Vera Clouseau, Paul Maurice, and Charles Vanal. Directed by Henry Georges Clouseau, released in 1955 to international acclaim. And if I haven't butchered it enough there, we're talking about Diabolique. Uh, some of you may know that as the Sharon Stone movie from 1996 with Chaz Palminteri trying to eat her neck at one point. But no, we're talking about the original. And Chris, you brought this one to the table. You actually gave me a laundry list of like ideas. And I'm like, yes. But off of that list, this one just stuck out to me. And I was like what's that all about? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, curious. So I want to know your background with this one. Oh man, my background goes back to like 25 years, 25 years ago, taking French class and being bored out of my mind. And uh, the teacher, Ms. Shannon decided, you know what? I think this can be a good idea to sit these kids down and have them watch a black and white film from the Criterion Collection, all in French. And let's see how much they can get out of it. Um, and to be honest, going back through the rewatch, I didn't remember very much, uh, from the movie, to be honest, except that, you know, I remembered enjoying it then. And I really enjoyed it, uh, being able to sit down as an adult 25 years later and understanding what's going on, um, and just really how well put together it felt. I'm glad you brought this one up because I think I know the story of this one and I'm not too uncertain. I haven't seen that Sharon Stone one. We'll talk about that in a minute, <laughs> uh, but the genre that this is part of, or maybe the sub genre, the, the sub genre this represents is something I happen to really be into. I love the dastardly romantic thriller. Um, there were a ton of these between the eighties and the nineties, one sleazier than the next. <laughs> um, that, that, that I just couldn't get enough of. And I'm talking like, like fatal attractions, like class. All right. I'm talking about like all the basic instinct knockoffs yes. that happen, you know, fatal analysis and, um, you God. know, another <laughs> nine and a half weeks and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but what I, what I had always heard, I had heard people reference this movie as a, Hey, if you like Hitchcock or if you like, the femme fatale kind of flick, or if you like, you know, mystery noir with twists and Shyamalan and all that, you really owe it to yourself to eventually see this one because it's where a lot of them kind of root from. It's certainly not original in itself because I'll say now, I think it takes from something that came out about 11 years beforehand, but we'll talk about it when we get into it. But this movie is very much a, kind of a linchpin for a lot of other movies. Like Halloween is not the first killer point of view movie, <laughs> right. but it's the one everybody kind of stems from. And it's also the one that like gave birth to <laughs> eons of, of <laughs> movies behind it. And I kind of feel the same way about this one as well. Yeah. You know, and to be honest, I don't know that I was really ever into these kind, this genre or, or subgenre of movies myself. Um, the closest I can really come to it to, to recall really being like, oh man, that was great. And it's funny you mentioned Shyamalan and what a twist um, of the, the stuff that he put in there. But for me, I, I think of, what is it? Christopher McQuarrie and the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was right in, you know, in my wheelhouse. It came out mid to late nineties. Great stuff. Great twist. You really had a hard time following it. So I, I was glad that you picked this one. 
Um, and you know, it's funny. And you, again, you mentioned having heard about how Hitchcockian it is. And if I recall correctly, Henri Georges Clouseau stole this movie. He was able to slip in just before Hitchcock and buy the rights to it. Um, and Hitchcock ended up doing Vertigo instead, but was a huge fan of this film, which, you know, obviously it's, it's got all the hallmarks that you need, save maybe some, some acting chops in a couple places. Yeah. (laughs) There are a a couple of moments where you're like, Hmm. (laughs) I mean, I know this is, you know, 1955. That's all right. That's but really? Yeah. Okay. yeah, you're you're the actor among the two of us here, so I'm really going to ask you about some of the choices that some of these people make <laughs> in this film. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that for sure. But you no, know, I I like um I like a good thriller, and I think Usual Suspects is a lot of things, but it's a thriller mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I, I love a good mystery and a a movie that is bold enough to tell you at the end of it, don't spoil it for everybody else. Right? Because, you know, Hitchcock did that with Psycho, you know, famously. And but I, I love that. And that was the thing too. Like Shyamalan would say that about some of his early films, like don't spoil it for everyone else. And then people went to like Lady in the Water, like what the hell is there to spoil? You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, like there was Ouch. nothing else to spoil. It sucks. There you go. Spoiler alert. But yeah, I like that kind of movie that leaves you with that. And I like something that's a challenge, too, because I, I've seen foreign language films, films with subtitles, all that kind of stuff. But it's not something I just go to automatically. Mm. And it's not something we have ever done on Filmstrip in almost 300 episodes, something that's heavily subtitled. Wow. So I was able completely. to get a, a first one in there for you. Yeah, yeah. So you you broke the seal on, <laughs> on a, a big one that we needed to get to. And uh, yeah, but I'm glad we did because it, it'll be fun to talk about this one because, again, you're going to do the plot summary in a minute and people are going to hear this and go, I know that movie. I've seen that like 1,800 other times. And yes, you have. <laughs> yes, but many this different is ways. The, yeah, but as the book will go, this is the one that you know, kind of started. And I, another thing I kind of flashed when I was thinking about this, Kurt and I reviewed Eyes Wide Shut last November, which, you know, Kubrick mm. does everything based off a book. And that was a book with kind of a mystery in it. And there's about 25 minutes of that movie that's a real page turner thriller mystery and surrounded by two hours of people staring at each other and yelling at each other for reasons you don't understand. And I still don't understand, but in the the middle of it is something like this. And so I, I don't know. I, I think directors get fascinated with, Something that they know the audience is going to actively be trying to figure out how is that happening? What is that? Is it a ghost? No, it's got to be real and kind of toy with that idea. And that's a fun line to walk on. Shyamalan certainly does that. Oh, definitely. Sixth Sense is nothing but that, right? Yeah. I mean, he even tells you right up front, I see dead people. And you're like, whatever, kid, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Um, I I felt like the, the setup, even going back and watching it again, this movie's got some some big left turns where you're like, wait, what, what? And especially if you're not a native French speaker, right? So if you're like us and you're reading along, you know how much of the movie are you missing because you're you're reading subtitles that are going along at a good clip, and you look away for a moment, or you know, we live in the days that we live in. You look at your phone for two seconds and you look back up. And you're like, what the hell just happened? Oh yeah, is this the same I, movie? I, I caught myself like muting the phone, yeah, just watching this and trying to watch it before anything I thought newsworthy would break. You know, just so I could, 
I could focus in on it uh, because I don't know any French at all. The only French I know at all is the little bit I learned for doing a reading of Picasso at La Pianagio. <laughs> I, I know nothing of French. I took Spanish in high school. Then that was a long time ago, and I don't remember any of it. So my teacher showed us uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark dubbed in Spanish, uh, which the voice choices there were interesting. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we talked about that a little bit offline. But, yeah, I don't I don't know any French, so it was all new to me. But French and Spanish are, are somewhat related to each yeah, other. romance language. Yeah, yeah, they've got a little bit different vowel structure and stuff. But you can kind of get the basic idea. The cool thing I love about these is there was a part of this where my subtitles wouldn't line up right, so I just tend to kind of watch and figure out what was going on. And I'm most could still follow it because thankfully the director would shoot them talking about whatever it was that was happening in the room so it wasn't hard to figure out oh they're talking about that kid that's said something funny and got all the <laughs> other kids riled up or whatever so it worked out okay yeah a little, a little bit heavy-handed on some of that but it's you know like you said it helps and it i think perhaps he was targeting the international audience he wanted to be able to sell this and have it work elsewhere so he made it work in any way that he could making some things really obvious, some things maybe not so, but you, like you said, you get the idea of what's going on. You know, the, yeah. the tone and the inflection of the, of the French, you know, and I've, I took three years of French 25 years ago. So I remember all the bad stuff uh, and nothing <laughs> of the good stuff. Cause of course my first French teacher gave me a book that was called Merde, the, the French you, you never learned in high school, which was perfect. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted to learn was the bad words, you know? I was just a dumb kid, you know, what can I say? So going back and watching this, you know, the, I don't think I picked up on any of the French. You know, it's it's just so far out of my memory at this point. But I, and there were moments where I'm like, oh man, I, I was thinking of Eddie Izzard, you know, who's like, oh, you know, they're, you know, French, you know, whatever. <laughs> so just trying to, to, to go along and be like, why did they make that choice? Hmm. I, okay, you know, I think, you know, we haven't quite gotten into it, but even the very opening of the film, when there's a car moving through there and there's a, a little paper boat in a puddle, I don't know that I quite understood what they were going for there, and I started to think, uh, did I make a bad decision to watch this movie? <laughs> oh, oh, no, I've got words about that scene, man. There's, there's symbolism all, right. all over this. I think we've got a director that is dialing it in and laying it on heavy. And you're, you're right about one thing. This not only had international acclaim, it had a lot of success. Box office you know, receipts are not what they are you know, nowadays back then, but from all accounts, this was wildly successful, even here in America when people didn't speak French and you didn't have subtitles in 1955 <laughs> oh, But what you did have is you had a lot of people who had immigrated here post-World War II who were at least partial speakers, native speakers. You had a lot of soldiers who had married French uh, women, brought them over here. You know, you had a little bit of the culture influencing. So there was some baseline for it, for it to have lasted this long. Because this could have been a movie that came out, made a hit, and just went away. And it hasn't. I mean, this movie is, as we're recording this, 65 years old. Almost everyone involved in it is dead, you know, and long gone. And But it still has a resonating factor. So I'm curious to dig into why it lasts right. so long and what about it works. And why the American remake? I mean, when when was the, the Sharon Stone version done? 1996, 1996, right in the middle of the, uh, I'm telling you, man, there was a sweet spot from about 84 to 99 <laughs> when we were just, we were doing all of it. You know, nowadays that kind of thing would be made into 
a, a well for a long time they got made into lifetime movies and oh, then Lord. they got a little bit of budget and they started they started getting made into like event films for like Hulu and Amazon and Netflix and you know that's who makes that now or they turn them into television shows and they're series true now. or cable that, that, right yeah cable yeah that kind of stuff is where this you you'll make this story for the big screen anymore which is sad because I miss the adult drama you don't you know nobody puts any money behind them anymore so you don't get to see them but it is very much made for an audience and a time when that's who went to see these things you know the kids would go see the you know the cliffhanger uh somewhere and you know flash gordon and then <laughs> mom and dad for nickel got to see this so uh, which you, know, you can see why they wouldn't go to want to get into it. well i think we belabored it enough though chris let's get into the plot summary please tell folks what this movie's about sure thing so Le Diabolique is, is set primarily at a second-rate boarding school on the outskirts of Paris, France, which happens to be owned by Madame Christina de la Salle. You know, and it, it's run with an iron fist by her husband, who I think they've only been married for a few short years. His name is Michel. Now, Christina, she's a meek young woman with a considerable bank account, a weak heart, and a desire to escape from the life in which she has found herself. While Michelle is a brutish, abusive, domineering spendthrift that seems to enjoy punishing her and the students as well as the staff that he oversees. Now, of course, he's also been having an open affair with another teacher, the chain-smoking bombshell Nicole Orner, whom he has also abused. You know, and it's this behavior that drives Christina and Nicole to forge an alliance against him, ultimately resulting in a devious plan to free themselves from his tyranny. Now, while on a short holiday from the school, Christina accompanies Nicole to her home in western France, where they put their plan in motion. Encouraged by Nicole and emboldened by the distance, one can only assume, Christina demands a divorce from Michel, causing him to run after them to western France, where they proceed to poison his drink and drown him in the tub. In order to cover their tracks, they transport his body back to the school and dump him into the swimming pool by moonlight, hoping his death will be taken for a, a drunken accident while the women were on holiday. But the body? It never turns up. Now, as Christina's paranoia increases and her courage fades, she and Nicole verbally spar with each other and have a falling out. When news of a body turning up seems to offer Christina some relief, she's horrified to learn that the body is not Michelle's. And here we enter retired police commissioner and private detective, Alfred Fichet, who offers to investigate Michelle's disappearance. Of course, while under interrogation, Christina falls ill. And her paranoia intensifies as a young student recalls getting in trouble for breaking windows at the school with his slingshot which Michelle then took away from him. Impossible, they all say, because nobody has seen the headmaster for days. And one evening, noises in the residence of the school wake Christina from a fever dream, and she goes in search of the source, creeping through the darkened rooms, gasping for air. In the bathroom, she finds Michelle's body submerged in the tub, just as it had been in Western France the night he was killed. Her weak heart, driven to its limit, finally gives out when Michelle slowly rises from the tub as if from the grave. <laughs> as he and Nicole reunite to celebrate their good fortune, Fichet appears from the shadows, catching them in the act. And then in the final scene, we see that same young boy shooting out the school windows of the now-closing school with his trusty slingshot. 
which he swears was given back to him by Madame de la Salle as credits roll. I mean, like the hair is sticking up <laughs> on the back of my neck as you read that right there. I uh, great reading, by the way. Great, great uh, plot summary. Hey, there. cheers! And and you get you give it you give it the the kind of gravitas that it needs because this is one of those dun 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 kind of movies. You know, oh, it doesn't have that score, but it has so many of those moments <laughs> to it. And that's what I mean when I say when I I'm so glad you for years again people telling me like oh you need to check that one out sometime. It is the boilerplate for all you you know of, and you look back at it you're like holy cow it really is. Like there's so many things that this movie does. You can see why Hitchcock was obsessed with it. Oh, definitely. He's like, well, I'm doing that. Eight more times. Yeah, I want to. I'd really love to get my hands on a, you know, a translated version of the book, the source material for this, because Mm -hmm. we all know movies are always 95, 90 to 99 percent always better than the movies that turn out of them because it's hard to get everything from the page onto the screen. But this one, I mean, again, just so many great twists and turns and things going on. And I, you know, I know for certain there's a big chunk of the book that was excised from the film, likely due to censorship, due to, you know, the the times and, you know, because there's a relationship between the two girls, which I think would be fascinating to, to get eyes on and to figure out, you know, they allude to it a little bit in the movie with little little itty bitty lines that are mentioned here and there. And, but if you're not clued into that, I think you miss it. I, I think you're, you're onto something there. It's something they kind of still sort of blush across in uh, the 1996 remake because you've got Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. You've already kind of you've done ba- that. Basic instinct. Uh, with her. Yeah, exactly. You've already kind of, and, and well, every other movie she hand made. That, oh, no, that's Rebecca DeVarnay. Sure. I'm thinking about yeah. a hand that rocks the cradle. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's another one, right? But but this one, like, I I will say right now, it's been 20 something, 24 years since they did the remake. I don't know why they haven't come around to it again, particularly Hollywood. I mean, it is recycle land. And once we get out of COVID hell that we are in and we start producing stuff again, well, let's hope we have a lot of original material sitting around or we got a lot of stuff we can get hands on quick and start making movies of. And this is one you could definitely take a look at. Let's get into our characters here, though, because I do find it fascinating. And we'll talk with about our two female leads here because I think Christina and Nicole are the centerpieces of this whole movie. And I can't say enough about how just taken I was with these two actresses. I don't know either of them from mm. anything, have no reason to. But I look at them, I'm like, I know why you would cast Sharon Stone to play Simone Cigarette, you know, 40 years later. And Vera Clouseau has, a, she has this kind of Judy Garland, Vivian Lee wholesomeness to her. Yes. But there's also like a darkness on the on the edge there. Like they doll her up and make her kind of schoolgirly. But when she pulls her hair down and she's wearing like the sexy negligee at night and stuff, she's the one that you you realize is there's a lot more going underneath than what she's playing. Oh, definitely. And it, it's interesting with Simone Signoret I, playing Nicole. She, and then you think again, as you were, were mentioning, I mean, Sharon Stone and Simone Signoret, you put them side by side and they look very similar and they have just this, this smoking hot attitude. They're very strong, strong women, and, and they play strong characters. And I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, with having her cast in this film, Simone Signore, she is so incredibly strong, and they, they foil off of each other. They play off of each other so well. Um, and I know there there's more interesting trivia behind this and the fact that it was a very tense set. 
um, with, you know, Vera Clouseau is the wife of the director. And mm-hmm. when things weren't going well on set, she was the devil's advocate. She was actually the one that would either stir the pot or just walk away. And I think a lot of that plays in the movie. Like it really fed into how their characters interacted with each other and the 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 real emotion that you can feel on screen between the two. And yeah, can I tell you, I, I'm so glad of that though, too, because the end result is worth it. Like if you're not creating the tension through your acting, you gotta find some other way to tap into the emotions, <laughs> right? So you gotta have somebody there that is willing to just go like, I don't know, and just start messing with everybody. And yeah. and and particularly start poking the bear of the person you're spending the most time with in scenes. And you talk about chemistry with couples on screens and things, and I'm not even talking about like uh, relationship type chemistry. I just mean like character chemistry. These two are beyond the yin and yang. I mean, they really are codependents in a lot of ways. And they, I mean, they're both victims of abusive relationships. One of them though is much more manip- manipulative <laughs> than the other, though. Maybe the other one is more manipulative the way it's played. You don't know like that, that whole paper boat thing or whatever. Yeah. I, I take that totally as a, do not be fooled by the size of things in the pool that they are in okay. because the smallest person in this movie, not the kids, but the smallest adult in this movie is Christina. But in the end, she may have been the most devilish of them all. If we will, because you know, think about it from this point, her whole thing is I want to sell this damn school. I want to be rid of you. I want to be rid of all these people. And I just want to go to Venezuela. Yeah, I want to go home. Yeah, I want to go home. I want to get away. I don't want to be here anymore. How am I going to get out from under all of this? Well, I could just sell it all and go through the courts, or I could just be completely evil and get you know get people to go along with what they want to do anyway. So my husband's lover and her can conspire, and I'll conspire with her, and we'll have this whole oh is he dead? Is he not? And I'll play the shrinking violet or whatever, and then I'll just look like I dropped dead, and then you know they'll sell the school, I'll walk away, and you know we'll all be gone, and you'll go to jail. Or maybe I'm really in the shrinking violet and I'm totally preyed upon by these two evil people. You can read it either way. And I think that's what makes Clouseau's performance so outstanding to me is you can watch this movie. And I watched it twice for this review. You watch it once and you go like, oh, you poor thing. And then the other (laughs) time you're like, you evil, manipulative Satan girl. No, she's fantastic. And, you know, it it does make sense. You know, if you're using that kind of iconography with the with the boat and don't let size fool you it's also how fragile the -hmm. boat is because the car runs it over you know it's sitting and floating in this little pool outside of this you know decrepit school Mm -hmm. and the car just blows through it and from the very beginning that's how vera is presented you know she's she's not even your traditional jilted wife right because she has not only a working relationship with nicole who is having an affair with her husband openly but she's friendly with her to the point that Nicole is protecting her, saying, oh, you poor dear, you know, you're you're very sick, you're very frail, you have a weak heart, let's take care of you. You know, you, you shouldn't go outside and, you know, have to monitor the kids at recess. You should be inside. It's good. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, it, it sets it up from the very beginning. Because I remember sitting there thinking, my gosh, how can someone be friends with a person that is absolutely betraying you? 
day in and day out. And you're like, eh, you know, whatever. You know, if you want to protect me, that's cool. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, there's one of two ways. Either she she really is that weak of a constitution or she's very, very intelligent and realizes means to an end <laughs> is sometimes worth it. Yeah. You, know, you can play it both ways. She's she's holding her cards close and, and I, I can see how on a it would be fun and maybe I need to do that after after this is go back and watch it that second time with that eye towards No, no, no. She's she's really the manipulative one. She's the dangerous one that you gotta watch out for because from the very beginning she's got something up her sleeve that she's not letting anybody on to. And and the fact that as just a casual viewer like you said, that first time through, you're like, oh, you poor thing. Oh, oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Your life sucks. You're stuck in this this boarding school with all these men. And, you know, the, again, I mentioned that he, in the, the summary, he's a spendthrift. The guy, when he's buying food for the kids and for the staff, he's buying like rotting vegetables and just yeah. the worst because he's like, you know, I bought the fish because it was on sale. And you think about back then, you're going to a fishmonger. You're not, you know, you're not going out to the supermarket with things been on ice and whatnot. This is food that has to sell. You only discount it for a reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's nobody wants to buy it. And he's bringing that back to the school for everybody. I mean, he's, he is such what like a, a skin flint. The, one of the teachers asks him, you know, it is France. Can, can I have a second glass of wine or can I have, you know, another glass of wine with my lunch? And the guy's like, you already had two. And you can see it in that character's eyes when he's like, no, 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 no. I've, I've only had one. I've only had one. Please, please, sir. May I have some more? Yeah. Very much. Well, yeah, you, you bring up Paul Maurice as Michelle here. He is such a bastard, like in every possible <laughs> way. Like he really is. And I probably in no more scenes than when he's standing there and Christina is is. You know, he's come to them in Western France and he's like, you know, I'm not going to give you a divorce. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Pour me my Johnny Walker red. And he slaps <laughs> her across the face, you know, and she just like at one point, like you could read it. It's like she's thinking about, I don't want to poison him. What am I doing? And then he hits her and he's like, she's like, oh, yeah, here, have another yeah. <laughs> two or three. And he's just down in them. But what I love about it is he plays this because what, what you, you know, once you know the secret, you know it, mm-hmm. right? He's got to play this off right. He plays it so well, like, what is happening to me? What is going on? You know, and he just sort of loses out of, and he allows himself to be drug around and drown and all this other shit. And to not break in that, like, you have to, you talk about having to have concentration and make that work. It makes you realize just how deep and dark and empty this person is. I mean, he is such a selfish manipulative jerk from the get-go there's absolutely nothing redeemable about him because oh, at no at point even feel like nicole has roped him into this <laughs> like this is his idea all along you can feel well, it. yeah the first things that you learn about him you know you see him and he's like you what what are you doing inside and he, he's talking to christina why are you here you're supposed to be out with the kids and nicole is being protective of her saying no she's frail and she's sick but nicole's wearing sunglasses and why, you know, there's only two reasons anybody's going to wear sunglasses inside of a building during the day. Either one, they're hungover as hell, right? Eyes bloodshot, mouth dry, they can't do anything. Or number two, which is in her case, she's got a nice shiner going on on her, on her face because he's been beaten into her. And they, she, uh, Christina even asked her, Michelle? Yeah. Yeah, it was him again. You know, this is what he does. And so I, I, I really love that you're digging into... You know, the the secret of it's out of the bag. How 
well they play that off. Because, of course, Nicole, the same way, the fact that she is able to convince this good Catholic girl, come to my house, ask, and it, because I think she's the mastermind, right, of, of the plot, at least so far as the audience is concerned at that point, because she is the yeah. one egging her on. Come to my house, we're going to make a phone call, and you're going to demand divorce. You're going to demand it. And you can see Nicole doesn't want to do that. That's against her religion. It's the, it's one of the ultimate sins of Catholicism, especially at that time. There's no divorce. But on right. top of that, it's like, uh, so divorce, I'm going to threaten you with divorce to get you down here so I can kill you. Exactly. Come yeah, on down. Yeah. I don't want to get divorced. It goes against the church. But if I whack you, right. maybe, that, so maybe that's okay. Because <laughs> no, what's the worst evil, right? You're, you're a wife beater or you're a dead man. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And this it's those splitting of hairs that makes it interesting. The thing I love about Nicole's character too is how like how in charge she is or seems to be of everything she's doing. She is out front. She's a chain smoker. She is ruthless grading some papers, but tell you. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's just like, no, no, F gone. You know, she's just How can you be doing right. that right now? <laughs> yeah. What no, else am I gonna do? Like, yeah, fail, right. you what fail. Yeah, he's dead. What am I supposed <laughs> to do? Wait on him? You know, because that's the other thing, too, is you watch it back and you're like, oh, she knows. Because that's another reason she could play it so cool. But she would have played it cool anyway if she thought this was real. You just kind of get that from her. Is She's got so much power. And, I try, you know, I wasn't alive during there, but I'm trying to think, like, in 1955, that had to blow people's minds. Right. To see a woman do that on the screen. And then I think like five years later to see Janet Lee do, do the thing she does at the beginning of Psycho. That that blew people's minds <laughs> to see somebody think and talk and act like that. And incredible. I mean, let's take in charge of my own fate. I'm tired of this yeah. shit. Like, I've had enough. You know what? Mm -hmm. We've we've had enough. Let's let's get him and, and yeah. get down to, to brass tacks and do that. And the fact that, you know, I again, maybe I got pulled away by my phone, but as they're setting up the plot. Like how devious is that? We're gonna we're gonna take the school van together and mm -hmm. drive out to my my flat in Western France. Then we're gonna you know lure him out here. We're gonna kill him, put him in the tub. Who we're, we're actually sorry, poison him. They knock him out. They sedate him. Yeah. Put him in the tub and drown him. And she's already thought, all right, I need to get a shower curtain because he's gonna be wet, and I want to make sure he's not dripping everywhere. I've got this big old huge wicker traveling case that we're gonna yeah. toss his body in. And on top of all that, the upstairs neighbors, like, and how yes. great was all of that? If I lived above any plumbing that sounded like that, I would be just like that guy. Exactly. I, I was watching that and I, in my head, I'm like, this guy thinks he's in a March Brothers movie. Yeah. It is awesome. It's <laughs> way like, over the top. Yeah, but I loved it though because for the time I'm like that would be like the relief. Yeah, the, uh, for I mean against what these people are doing, you have this ridiculousness going on around you, and and I think there's also like you've got a story motif there too of everybody gets caught up in their own drama and they don't pay attention to all the other things that are happening around them, you know, because that wasn't like that was you know they knew he had come, they mm -hmm. they didn't know where he was going, they they thought he just left in the night, you know, all that stuff. And it just gets dismissed because how oh, these two little women can never do anything right. you know, harmful to him. And when inside, you know, they are. That's the other read too. If you watch this again and you watch it with the Christina is behind all of it, man, you see like, wow, she's really good. Because the one thing she's got on Nicole, which it's, they're, it's not putting Nicole down, Christina is smarter. Like she's maybe not be as ruthless, or at least she doesn't come off as, but she is smarter. And she 
she takes time to think as Nicole just shoots and then asks questions, you know, she's one of those. And I kind of, I, I dig that. And I dig thinking through that in this scene because you've got Nicole and this man trying to drag this thing down. <laughs> but I'll yeah, tell you what, Michelle's taking it helping. for a beating. He's like, Oh <laughs> yeah. You get the neighbor to be compliant in your murder plot. And, but he's sitting there in that cage, just being drug around. Maybe, maybe he's like, look, I'm going to take a really good set of this. Cause I don't want to be here. When oh, you throw me man. down the stairs. Right. But I loved it though. I loved that the car, they put him in, he kind of lists over to the left cause he's too heavy. And they're like, well, that's a lot of dishes you got in there. Yeah. They're really, they're really old. They're heavy. So, and but and, but that's the thing is, you hear somebody say like, "Oh, I've come to get my dishes." I'm like, "You must have wrapped those mm. like awesome because they didn't clang <laughs> right. at all." I'm impressed. You can help me pack. I gotta move. Can, can you soundproof the, the rest of the apartment, please? You know, yes. And I think that's where I kind of laughed as well because thinking back, wait, this the, the upstairs neighbor who is complicit because he helps, but when he is having a fit. And he's yelling because the pipes are just ungodly loud and banging on the floor. It's 10 o'clock at night. How can you do this to me? Is her tenant. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that is as much, you know, a, a sign of the times. You know, it's 1955. She owns the building. He doesn't give a shit. He's like, I'm paying yeah. you rent and you're being loud. I'm going to bang on you. You know what? Hey, I'm going to call and complain about you. Um, which I don't think he ever does because that was the one thing where watching it this time through, you know, with a fresh set of eyes, it was like, ooh, you know, when he calls it in, then it's all going to go to to hell right there. It's going to fall apart, but not at all. They get the body in in the truck in the school van and take it back, you know, and and halfway along mm-hmm. the way they've got to stop and get some gas. Where a drunken sailor, a drunken uh, uh, marine, whatever he was, is like, I just want to ride in the. I need a ride. I'm gonna just <laughs> yeah. put myself in your truck. Right, but I love the tension of that because there's always something that happens right in the murder plot mm-hmm. when people are trying to get away with it. It's the completely and not a part of the story person that's going to screw this up for you. Yes, them. it's like no, <laughs> do not. Do. Tarantino does this a lot. Like he likes to mess with this a lot. Just the random character walks in and it's like you need to get out of this store, sir. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I, th- I think about Michael Parks the beginning of uh, from uh, Dust Till Dawn. That this whole scene plays like uh, the yeah. tension in this scene. It really does. And look, Tarantino, he, this is his kind of thing. You know, he's seen this a million times, so he's probably got a print of it at his house. <laughs> so I mean, probably does. You know, I mean, really, this is his kind of movie. And I'm watching that. I, but that's what I, I'm enjoying is when you watch something that's been around this long and is still remembered, there's a reason for it. And the reason is because it gets paid homage to in so many other things. Mm. And I love sort of going like, man, you can pull that out of a Western vampire movie. And now it's in this <laughs> Hitchcock movie. And it's in this Bad Lifetime movie. And it's this thing over here. And all of it still works because what she realizes that the source of it is good. And the thing I, w- I wanted to say that I think this movie borrows from is a movie from 1944, Gaslight. Mm. Um, because you, it, it's a different twist on the, the Gaslight theme. But in one way or another, either Nicole and Michelle are gaslighting Christina or she's gaslighting both of them. And you can play it either way. Man, I haven't seen that. I'm going to have to pull that one out and, and give it a watch because I, I think yeah. I've reignited something. A desire for these types of films. I, I mean, I love a thriller. I love a good twist. Uh, I think maybe I got burnt out because of my <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, that'll do it. I, no. <laughs> I started watching Robot Chicken instead. What a twist. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you gotta have, you gotta cleanse the palate. But I'm a big fan of good neo noir like that, and uh, you know, it's all it's in all of that stuff, and it can be played for laughs too. Like his girl Friday's a hilarious version of the same thing. It's just all kind of a joke, right? But you watch something like like Gaslight, you go watch the Maltese Falcon, even Casablanca, which you know everybody remembers for the love story in it. But there's a good like mystery to that too, and a lot of wartime stuff. There's lots of things going on in those, those movies. And that's what one of the things that I think makes them last is because their influence isn't just on the things that they are like, but on all the other things that want to borrow from those elements. And that's what makes them cool, right? Yeah, everything that comes after that's like you know I. I saw this movie once, it, you know, it, it, while I was studying cinema, there's something in there I can borrow. I can make this work. Yeah. They can build a whole movie off of it. Because um, yeah. I, I even I started thinking about Sunset Boulevard might even have some elements of this in there as well. It's another, you know, famous black and white uh, noir film with a good mystery yeah. and a nice slight little twist to it. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Shyamalan earlier, the the kid in Sixth Sense, Haley Joel Osment, the little precocious window-breaking kid here. Right. Um, I mean, really, like, nobody wants to believe me, but it, he's not lying. Not at but all. Learned, that, that, that's why it's such a great twist at the end. It's like, well, he didn't lie the first time. I mean, he had no reason to. He doesn't have one now. And he's so scared of the headmaster mm-hmm. that yeah, when he's told, go stand in a corner. <laughs> Yeah, they're closing the school down, and he still puts him in time. Right, out. that's how scared he is. <laughs> the kids like, all right, whatever, man. I'll go yeah, stand no, in the corner. That's... I'm not yeah, lying though. Talk... I saw it. Yeah, we should talk about those other characters before we get to um, shit. The the private detective is the school is just littered with all these just like straight out of um, I need a portly <laughs> uh, night watchman, and I need a sort of in over his head young teacher who's definitely going to be on unemployment soon. And I need uh, another guy who desperately wants to be the headmaster, but he's not. And, and you throw them all in and you have sort of the break from the main plot to watch these people try to run this school. When, when you have a stern taskmaster and then that person leaves, what was always the joke about the substitute teacher? It's like, whoosh, <laughs> you can take a break, get away with right? anything I want and, now. And and that is kind of what happens at the school when Michelle steps away. I mean, the kids are unruly. There's all kinds of stuff. And even the staff are like, I don't know. I'm having that third glass of wine. At yep. <laughs> and the good wine, too. <laughs> because yeah, exactly. he, not only is he he's disappeared, but, you know, they saw him sneak off. Because Michelle yeah. even says that, you know, I had to run away from the school in the night like a thief, you know, to, to come down here. I mean, who's who ever heard of such a thing? You know, a woman telling her husband she wants a divorce. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, and it. I think it also sets it up and gives you a great opportunity to suspect someone else, right? It's a, another piece in, in these films is, well, we've got, uh, you know, the, the, the outsider who might blow it. And then you have these little side characters that they give you just enough reason to doubt what you think is going on. You're like, well... Well, come on, because because when the body isn't found, the first mm-hmm. place that you start thinking is, all right, who was it? Which of these three guys at the school was it? You know, is it yeah. Plantivo, who is, you know, the night watchman that also kind of watches out and does the cleaning around it? Or is it one of the two professors, the, the younger one or the older one who just wants a nice bottle of wine? I mean, if you're dealing with yeah. a bunch of rowdy kids, it's nice to have a drink, <laughs> you know, and it's <laughs> it's just such a fun way to play on the audience and to play their emotions and start making them jump around being like, all right, the hell's going on here. 
Well, and you watch these two lead female characters use all of those people for their own means. Yes. And different things. I mean, they dump his body in that murky pool at night. And then the whole thing is the next morning, like, I couldn't sleep at all. I just am waiting. And they're like, they open up the doors. And th this is where you can start maybe kind of lean that there's something to that relationship that we're not talking about in this movie because it's 1955. They're not like dressed for work. No. They're getting up. <laughs> You know, maybe they just hung out together. I'm not trying to, you know, turn this into something that's not, but I do think that's there. I do think that there is a, on some level, there is, I've talked about them being codependent. Hmm. They have a relationship with each other on some level. And I think you could read into it that like, Hey, maybe they spent the night together after that, just to calm each other down. Never well, know. I, I wonder, did, did Christina let that out of the bag? In Western France, in Nicole's flat, when Michelle is asking, yeah. you know, where's what we we got to leave here? We can't stay here. I can't sleep here tonight. You know, this is this is your bed or whatever. She says, no, it's our bed. And I think she's alluding to the it's hers and Nicole's. And then later, after they get back to the school, you see them in that insane bedroom. All that right? woodwork back there. I mean, at first it was kind of like, what on earth is that? I don't think I want people to be able to walk past my bed. And look in over the top of like the headboard, um, but because it, yeah. it does seem to be a, a shared hallway, um, but absolutely gorgeous in that decrepit school. You know, it's yeah. it's almost like this blocky. You know, no, I wouldn't quite call it a castle, but it has that yeah. feel. Maybe a dungeon. You know, more more appropriate yeah. for a boarding school. <laughs> and then they have yeah. this beautiful room that the that the the two lead actresses have obviously spent the night in and are opening those as you said opening the windows looking out on the scene to see if anything has changed um into yeah. that nasty well, I mean, water i'm a big game of thrones fan you have the main keep and then you have the side keep for like mm -hmm. the people that work for you at the house right that's kind of what this looks like it's sort of like the side house it's yeah. not the nice one but it's okay it's got to stay but it is run down it is kind of second rate they all talk about that mm -hmm. they can even make a joke that like <laughs> it's not like we you know work at you know the, you're the greatest the nice university school. in the world <laughs> yeah we're not at the nice school right yeah they, they don't talk about it like that i'm like i understand that because like my high school was considered like oh that school oh, no. where i went to <laughs> high school you know and it wasn't bad I, at least it wasn't to me, but compared to the other high school in the city, which was maybe six miles from us, I mean, theirs was nicer because it was built, you know, 20 years later than ours. And, it, you know, you, you can notice it. But I, I can appreciate that. But you're right about something in that room, though, that's a it's a clue, too, is we talk about Michelle being such a spendthrift and um Christina's always talking about how she takes care of everything or whatever. Well, the first thing she took care of was her own logic. Yeah. Like her stuff is nice. It's like, you know what? I may live in a one bedroom apartment, but I've got some nice furniture in here. Seriously. <laughs> some really good pieces. Me and Broyhill are on like a first name basis now. Like we've got some good <laughs> stuff here. And but she does. And they open that up in the morning, the shutters there. And the first thing she wants to see is like, where's the body floating? Mm -hmm. And it's not there. And then the, it goes throughout the day. She's trying to teach the children like conjugation you know and you're doing that repeat now, I, I was going to ask you like did that remind you of French class because oh. that's what my Spanish classes were like was definitely I mean it, to, it, there was a part of me sitting there listening to it going is she teaching them English like, yeah I think so like she was teaching them you know past present tenses and I was sitting yeah. there going wait a minute but what wait the hell is going on on her dais which I think is really yeah. really incredible and maybe that's just me showing my ignorance of not having any insight into what this type of education would look like. But, and, and she's also a diminutive 
lady. And she walked into that class that morning. She had to take a couple steps up onto a dais where her desk was. And she's like, all right, yep. shut up, kids. Let's go. And you saw well, and a little bit of the too. attitude from her changing where she was a little more clipped in severe, which we hadn't really seen to that point. Oh, absolutely. And you see, though, that even though she is diminutive, even though she is like when she walks in the room, there's respect. Yeah. Immediately. Everyone else, it's like we're getting away with it right up to the second they come in and then they have to be calmed down. Every other teacher, even Nicole, you know, who's so brash. and other. Christina walks in and it's like, Poof. you know, like my Spanish teacher was another short little woman <laughs> from Mexico City. But you didn't cross Mrs. Johnson because she would cut you. Like, like just with her eyes, like you just, <laughs> she could just you know, bring you down. Like, no, What's it mean? no, sir, no, sir, Mr. Skipworth. You know, like she, she could wow. bring you down, but I appreciated that because, but because that kind of person that commands respect and it's beyond what they look like, but the students are following right along. She's going along and she keeps looking at that window and she takes that deep breath and then nothing. Well, right. Because yeah. uh, what is it? Platino, it goes over there with some type of hook and starts digging around in there. And at that point she's expecting, mm -hmm. all right, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. And he just pulls out a little bit of trash and sets it down on the ground and yeah, moves and on. She's like, oh. And then she, she's going on and on about it in the schoolyard later on. She's like, I have to know we have to drain the pool. And so they, they come up with the thing where, you know, Nicole tosses her keys, they're short and the kid decides I'm going to be Aquaman and dive in, you know, or whatever and get it. And he comes up with Michelle's lighter, you know, and they're like, Oh no, but where's the rest of him? Right. How could, did you not see anything else down there? I don't know. It's kind of murky down there, lady. And they send everybody off. And then they, they're begging, like, would you please drain the pool? But it's not time to drain the it's pool. It's going to take please an hour at least to drain the pool. Yeah. I got stuff I got to do, lady. I got a job. Yeah. But I love it. I, he's like, she's like, would you just do it for me? And he's like, yeah. Of course. <laughs> well, and what was yeah. the deal? It was, it was before they decided to drain the pool when she passes out. Like, she, she, she her tension oh, yeah, she is fades. so high. You know, after yeah. that he's digging in there, she runs over there and looks and looks down. Oh, and it's because she doesn't see anything, I'm assuming. Uh, and just yeah. passes out there next to the pool. And like, oh, she must be sick. Let's let's go take care of her. And I think that's yeah. the cool thing with the showing the respect is I don't think it is only to do with who she is as the owner of the school or the wife of the headmaster. But right. they know that her husband has been missing for days and she hasn't she's not taking it well. And they're like, Shh, yeah. Shh. Let's, let's yeah, and, nice. and they know she's got a bad, she's got a bad heart. You know, they're taking all this pity on her, and that's why I say you read this one of two ways: either all of that is exactly what it says, or she is going, "What cards do I have hmm. in my hand that I can really play? Let's speed hmm, this along. Hmm, I can play that, and people will just go with it and make it work." Uh, very Kaiser says, "Yes, you know, not not to spoil that which we reviewed that movie years ago. If you haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry. It's but, been out for a while." Yeah, yeah. Kevin Spacey plays that one way, and then all of a sudden, the, the foot strikes. Yeah, verbal Kent. Like, oh, my. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So, by the way, same kind of lighter as in this movie. Just put it out there. McCoy's also a fan. He's mentioned it. So just put it out there. Um, probably a complete prop, like, synchronicity, but would be fun nod if you want to think about it like that. But I do love that, and, and that's at this point when the two women now get at each other's throats. Like the, the relationship breaks down because Christina's ready to like, go to the police. Like we've got to confess. We've got to confess. We've got, I can't, I can't live with this good, good Catholic girl mm -hmm. again. You know, she, I've got, I can't live with this. I can't do anything with this. I can't, I can't go on like this. And Nicole's like, whatever he's dead, 
you know, and and I did get a little laugh. You talk about like re- far-reaching, you know, threads into movies <laughs> that this is not nine to five in nineteen eighty, where the <laughs> Lily Tomlin Dolly and Parton. Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda think they've killed Dabney Coleman, yes. but they haven't. It's it's the same kind of drama though. It really is between the, those three women. Is happening between these two, and it's it's played for laughs there, but here it's played for tension. But I was watching it, and even again being in a different language, I'm going nine to five. It's the same. <laughs> I've thing. seen this before yes it's the same stuff you know between lily tomlin freaking out about oh we've got to, we're gonna i'm gonna be you know thrown in jail forever my <laughs> kids are gonna go to jail you know all this stuff and dolly parton is like would you just shut right, up stop talking <laughs> here smoke this yeah yeah exactly yeah which is it's yeah but that's you can see it play that way and i think that's kind of neat that that has threads in that but i i did love it when they're relationship started to deteriorate how the two actresses played it i thought they really did a good job of portraying just this i'm sick of your crap too attitude. yeah i mean it works so so well and it i think when you get christina after that she's like all right i'm done with you i'm so done with you mm-hmm. look here's a newspaper uh, and nicole even shows it to her hey you can take it easy take it easy all right i'm sick of hearing you talk about it. we got to tell the cops you know you don't they found a dead body they found a, a, a naked male body in the sand Done. Done and done. We're on. We're, we're, we're home free. And then that's when Christina makes a terrible mistake. She runs yes. to the morgue. I need to go identify this body. Haven't reported him missing to the police. Haven't done any of the, the steps that, you know, you would normally do. Oh, my husband has been gone for how long? I should probably tell somebody. No, no, no. I'm going to go see this dead body. And, and I think they played that scene so well, too, with, you know, the... Uh, uh, what would he be? The medical examiner, I, I, I guess, is what yes. he would be. It, it's saying, all right, I need more than a name, lady. I need, no, I need uh-huh. more than your ID. You need to tell me, like, identify the body before you see it. What kind of marks does he have on his body? And it, and the, how fun it is that he kind of plays with her a little bit there and trying to lead her into making a mistake. You know, does he, you know, what about up on his upper thigh? Is there a beauty mark there? She's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I wanted to ask you about that was, has Fichette gotten there ahead of time and it's like sniffing out a lead? Like, if somebody's wanting to verify this guy is dead, they might show up at the morgue to identify him. So let me make sure that the, you know, the medical examiner helps me vet some of this out along the way. I I don't know how you read it, but I kind of wondered. I'm like, he seems like the kind of guy that would be sneaking around in the corner that would pull something off like that. I I don't know. Well, you know, and that was one of the things while watching it. I was like, who the... Who the hell is this guy? Obviously, he's a cop or he's a PI. He's doing something there. Why is he there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, trying to watch it, not even trying. I was watching it completely from the idea that Christina, and even though I've seen this movie, how terrible is that? That she is, she's the innocent party here. And mm-hmm. he's there because someone else, not even necessarily Nicole, but a family member has said he's been missing I suspect his wife did something like they've had a crap marriage for the, you know, the three or four years that they've been married and they sent Fiche. They hired him and put him in play. And so he's sitting there just waiting, waiting for, you know, and what a, (laughs) how fortunate for him that he just happened to be sitting there that day. Um, Or did they place the article in the paper on purpose to lure the the killers out? See, I did the whole law and order thing. Like they put that in the paper. Like that, yeah, that is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is a total, let's put that in the paper and see who it draws out. Well, and, you know, you think about that, I'm like, that's a Thomas Harris thing. Yeah. They do that in two of the Hannibal Lecter you know, things, books. especially Red Dragon. And I'm like, yeah, you throw that out there to see what you see what kind of fish you can catch on that bait. 
And it, you know, cops do that. That is a real thing. I mean, that's not. A, I learned that in journalism. School. <laughs> you get you get good stuff from the cops because they're wanting your help <laughs> to to vet people out because criminals, a lot of criminals, not all of them, love their own press. Yeah, and just can't stay away, right? Like you, you look around at the scene of a crime to say, like, who doesn't belong here? You know, or maybe who is really, really too interested in being here right now and not just rubbernecking what's happening on the side of the road, right? Like that, you know, that's a, an investigative technique. I don't know about you. I kind of got a whole like Detective Kinderman from The Exorcist thing off this dude. <laughs> I don't know that that's what that guy was going for in The yeah. Exorcist, but it's just where my brain went when I saw him. I was like, yes, it's you. And it's also, you're also the doctor at the end of Psycho that mm. overexplains everything oh, good Lord. to the audience. He's, he's that. He's, he's Arbogast. Columbo he's as well. He's kind of fumbling. Yeah. Yeah, you know what, Col- Columbo. Yes, it's like, excuse me, yeah. Doctor Vasquez, <laughs> but we know it was your wife. You know, or just whatever. one more thing. One more thing. Yes, take out your glass eyeball uh, <laughs> contact lenses before oh, you fake ground yourself. My God, how yeah. horrible that was. That's the other thing too with, it, with Michelle with the, the eyes rolled back. I mean, I thought like, man, if that guy's doing that, good on him. And then when he takes the things out at the end, it's like. What I mean, what a horror scene! In right, those things are hard, God. like hard plastic, and he just kind of rolls yeah. them out of his eye. It's, oh, oh my God! I'm like, I can't do contact lenses mm. anyway, but I'm like, especially watching that, I was like, that's. I told my wife, it's like that's why, that's mm. why don't I touch can't my do eyes. Contact. Don't touch my eyes. Yes. I don't want to touch my can, eyes. Yeah, I cannot. No, oh. I cannot deal with that. But no, back to Fischette. I love the way he he questions these two women and particularly questions Christina when he's back at the school with her. He's not laying into her. He's not giving her too much. He's just sort of subtly letting her tie her own knot. And I'm like, man, this is whoever this guy is. Charles Bernal did a really good job of studying how detectives work. Well, going through her that's stuff what they do, too, they just, right? I mean, like he took yeah, that they photo. Just wear you down. <laughs> yeah. They just wear you down over time. Right. And then, then he does the creepy thing where he just shows up in the middle of the night while she's sleeping half naked and is lighting a <laughs> What the hell are you doing I'm like, here? Well, okay, yeah, that's a little. That was a little. When well, he tells her at that point, that. he's like, "No, no," because she confesses right at that stage in yeah. in the middle of the night. She's already stressed out and gets sick during the the initial interrogation there at the school. And Nicole again says, "No, you gotta kind of let her alone, man. She needs some rest. Can't you see she's weak?" And then after he pulls that lovely creepazoid move of showing up in the middle of the night and she wakes from a dream and he's sitting there. She confesses everything to him because she's just at that point. You get the feeling she's had enough. I'm done. Like you're never going to find him. He's dead. I don't know where the body is. He's all gone. And he's like, no, 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 no. I think you'll find tomorrow that you are wrong and you will feel much better. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, what does he know? Like, has he already figured out that it was Nicole and Michelle? When he said that he had seen Michelle, he says, Mm -hmm. I found him. He's very much alive. You'll find tomorrow. You know, he's closer than you know. You'll find tomorrow. Wow. That's, yeah, that is, that is a great reveal in this. Oh, it's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And then what happens the next night, though, is the best. Like, you talk about, like, we've built up to the crescendo now, and the thing knocking around in the dark literally is the thing you dreaded the most. She runs to the bathroom, and there he is in the tub. And again, this this movie doesn't have the kind of music that it would normally have had if it was made 10 years later, even. Uh, But, I mean, it is the... Duh, Seriously, know, sting of the of the stuff, you know, and I mean, maybe that's that's the thing that like sets it when apart. When you think about the 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 mother reveal at the end of Psycho mm. with those 
like there's that silence and then it's dun, 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 dun on those those strings. I mean, it it's there to shock you. And it's almost like you wish this movie had that little bit of score because when he's coming up out of there, man, I'm going, that's some Vincent Price House of the Haunted Hill shit right oh, there. Oh, man, man. That is really Terrifying. Creepy. Absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. because he just kind of sits up like a, like a mummy. Like I said, you know, it's like he's rising from the dead and his eyes are white and glazed over. And it's just this horrific, horrific scene. And finally her heart says, oh, fuck this. I'm done. And that's like the absolute worst acting in the film is her death scene. Yes, when she does. Her death scene and her faint. It's just like, and give, give the lady some credit. Her third film ever and her last film, if I remember correctly. Yeah. She was like, I am so done with this. And it's likely because of the tension that her husband and, built up on the scene, on the set. And tragically, a woman who died at 46 from a yes. like that is, I mean, it's like so weird and kind of ghoulish to think about like, oh, you're playing out your own death 10 years before it happens. Yikes. But yeah, it is the worst acting. In the it's movie. so terrible. It's like and, a and flop. And what's funny <laughs> Yeah, what's funny is that it's juxtaposed to maybe some of the best acting in the movie, which is um, Paul Maurice coming up out of that tub like that. Because it is, it is so, I mean, it's all of the creepy, you named it, Mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula moving forward at you. It's all of the things that would scare the hell out of somebody in 1955. And even here in, you know, 2021, it's still scary. Like, it is, that's a scary look. And... The the bit of when he's pulling the eyes away, it's when you realize like, oh, so foul. oh no, yeah. oh. It's not only that, but it's when you realize like, oh my goodness, this son of a bitch has been in on this the whole time, and that's when you know you're like, and so has the blonde, yep. and you're just waiting for it to come around the corner, <laughs> running into the room, and you're like, knew it, knew it, right? And so what, what I it. think is funny is he. He checks her her arm like halfway up her forearm for a pulse. I'm like bad right. bad form, not good. <laughs> but whatever. So so I'm sure she's like my husband is so stupid he won't even know how to check my pulse when I'm dead. So I'll just let it go. And he walks out, and then of course they hook up in the hall, and creepy old Fischette comes out of the corner of the shadow, going, "Excuse me, but you are guilty as hell, and a judge will give you fifteen to twenty yeah. years," which was the subtitle. And I was like, "That they must have done that for American audiences, because I don't think the French, you know, system <laughs> off with their heads." Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so. No, it was great, and it, I mean, it's it's a, a lovely reveal. I mean, and again, I I'm with you on the eyes because that just even watching it. The other night here, 2020, folks, I can't handle that. I mean, and then being able to think about the fact that this is filmed in 1955, and that's got to be uncomfortable as hell, because those things look like oh. hard plastic discs, and he just kind of twirls yep. them out. And the second one, it takes a little bit of extra work, because it doesn't want to come out of his eye. And you, all yeah. you're doing is sitting there cringing, like, oh, disgusting. And then you got some creepy old perv coming out of the shadows. <laughs> it's like, I've been watching you this whole time. <laughs> You know, he's smoking his cigar, yes. just waiting. Because, again, that dude, he just waits. He waits at the morgue. He waits in the bedroom. He waits in the shadows of the dark hallway. And, you know, hey, he got him. Fantastic. Movie over, right? That's it. Right. Except we get a little coda on it. And this is the thing, like, I've read a lot about you know, what people wrote about this movie. They're like, oh, the ending just kind of happens too fast. I'm like, no, no, no. You're watching this through your modern cinema glasses. Mm-hmm. 
1955, when you hit the big moment, you get out. Like, you're done. Like, you don't, you don't waste time. Like, this is not <laughs> pop songs for two and a half minutes, oh. kids. We didn't do this, you know, extended play shit. Like, <laughs> you get in and out. But I love the coda of the school closing down, and you've got that little boy again shooting out another window because he hates the school, clearly. He's like, well, hell, mm-hmm. I'm leaving. What's <laughs> Take the a few out while and I go. <laughs> yeah, might as well get another one while I can. And you get that that same bit where he's like, but... She gave it to me, Madame De La Salle mm-hmm. did, and and he's like, "Go stand in the corner with your foolish life, disrespectful." Boy. And I'm going, and not disrespectful of the dead, disrespectful because the school right. is closing. Right, right, and I'm I'm like, wow, that's I mean, but it leaves you thinking. You're like, this little boy never lied because he said he had mm-hmm. seen him, right? And then what they do, the school picture yes. right after, and he's ghostly faces in the window. I'm like, man, you talk about like this dude was like, no, when are they going to take that picture? Where do I need to stand? Like, you thought that mm-hmm. out, like to work that out with the photographer ahead of time, and then for the the little boy to kind of skulk off, and you that's when it cuts, and you realize like, is he telling the truth? Is he not? We don't know. It's the great mystery. That's what I yeah. ask you here at the end is, is Christina the ultimate mastermind to do all this to get Michelle and Nicole and to be able to get out from under that school? I think so, because she had the money already. Like she said, I no, 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 you're not taking care of the school. I'm taking care of the school. It's my money that you're spending. And I think the, you know, returning the slingshot that Michelle had taken away from the boy is, is his kind of part of the setup to drive her mad is similar to his suit coming back from the dry cleaners all of a sudden after he's been dead. This is the suit that we drowned him in. This is the suit we dumped him in the pool in. What? How the hell did that come back? Like, clean, yeah. from the dry cleaners. They're like, no, no, I don't know. Here, it, it, We were told to bring it back to you. Enjoy. And so she returns the favor with the slingshot. She's like, no, I'm still here. Okay. And she gets, you know, the... She doesn't get the money from the school being sold, but I don't think she cares because, again, she has money. She just wanted to get rid of Michelle and Nicole and be done with it all and not have, you know, the the weight over her head of a divorce or murder. Right. Which is amazing. We talk about what an elaborate plot to get around. Is it a double, double cross? I guess, It's just insane if you think about it because... She thought Mm -hmm. the man was dead, like we killed him. But no, I think Nicole is not going to go through with it because she's having an affair with the man. I'll play along. I'm going the long game here. Well, exactly. Like, I've got this weak heart. (laughs) You know, and all this stuff. But there there are a couple of times. Sorry. Yeah, there there are a couple of times. Like literally like a dead fish. She flops onto the earth. I mean, yeah, she does. She does the Bugs Bunny (laughs) mother and just flips over at the end of it. But there, there is a, there are a couple of looks she gives. And it's like side eye looks. And again, I only got this on the second time through. So it's worth going back and looking. But it's little side eye looks when Nicole says something to her or, you know, Fouchette says something and she's like, oh, you've hit, oh, you figured it out. Like she gives this little like flicker and it's just an acting thing. I think where she's like revealing like, hmm, you're very sly. I'm going to have to play this even slower than I thought, or I'm going to have to accelerate this plan. Like she's clearly in control. I, I read it the same way. I think, I think she's the Kaiser Soze the whole time. And she, and this is her way to get out. Oh. And you know, she, she can't, she can't get a divorce because the only way you can get a divorce is if somebody's cheating on you. And in 1955, nobody's going to believe the woman over there. You have to admit it. Yeah, that's just, and how you know shameful yeah, exactly. is that? And, and, 
Exactly. She's not going to do that. And she's clearly not going to kill him because she's not that. But, you know, this other woman wants to wants to think she's smarter than me and she can get over with me and she can get with my husband after they, you know, knock me over because I have this weak heart or whatever. Okay, fine. I can play that game because he's a moron and he's not going to check my pulse right anymore. <laughs> and so, Grab me by so, the elbow. I mean, you, you know he's an idiot. He swigs at Johnny Walker. He's like, this tastes different. Give me Give more. Me and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, nope, mm. nope, nope, nope. You know anything about people that drink that kind of stuff? They're like, nope, <laughs> nope, we're not drinking that anymore. It's Throw gone it bad. Out. It's like, corked. It's very hard. Yeah, it's hard to poison somebody when they can <laughs> taste the strychnine. So, yeah, so she knows. I, th- I think she is in control the whole time. And that's the cool part of this story is that when you, when you once you know it you don't want to spoil it for mm. anybody else cuz there's so many things you could spoil but i think that's the most fun part of watching this is watch it now and go okay is she really the mastermind because i'll tell you i watched it the second time looking for that but at the end of it i go i don't know maybe she wasn't like i think you can go either way with it it's not definitive and that's what makes it so much fun is you you don't have to decide but i think you and i are in agreement that that she's definitely I mean the if she's not I mean, how do you explain it? Is she really alive yeah. then? Or or is she haunting the school grounds at that point? Or is the little boy just telling a nah. lie because kids do that when they get in trouble? <laughs> That's also like true. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's breaking the school windows anyway. What does he care? So, I mean, yeah, that's the other part is, like, you could just read it for what it is. There are no ghosts because yeah. they play off this whole supernatural bit. For, but, and that's, that's kind of badly done. That's not that great. Um, but you realize, like, well, the boy has no reason to lie. Except that he's a kid and he's got in trouble. <laughs> so maybe he would. I, I didn't know. break in and steal so. it. No, the dead lady gave it to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, why not? It worked last yeah. time, sort of. So, well, there's some, <laughs> some interesting background on the film itself. You know, talk about building tension on the set, right? You, you've got Simone Signore, who is an actress in demand. Obvious, obvious blunder in this one in that she didn't read her contract when she signed it. And the contract says you'll be paid for eight weeks of work regardless. The film took something like 16 weeks to film. And the director only paid her for eight weeks. Like to the point where she was actually going into rehearsals to play uh, Elizabeth Proctor in The Crucible. And when she had set out her schedule, she's like, this is perfect. I can do this little film that's going to be done in eight weeks. And then I'm going to rehearse this play and there's going to be no crossover and I've got it. And that dude would not budge. He was like, no, no, no. You, you're going to come here. You're going to film. Then you can go off to your little rehearsal thing and then you're going to come back and you're going to film again. And you better be sharp. Uh, and he was <laughs> mad at her a lot of the time because he felt that she, because she knew the ending of the film, she wasn't playing the character right. Which is really hard for me to grasp because she's so fantastic in that role. I know. I, yeah, unless he got it out of her through multiple takes. God, that sounds like what they made like Michael J. Fox do to do the first Back to the Future movie. It's like, you'll shoot this all during the week and you'll shoot that oh. stupid space movie on the, on the weekend. <laughs> Enjoy at midnight. it. Midnight. Yeah. Even though we're owned by the same company and Spielberg says this is okay. I'm going to make your life hell, kid. Welcome so, to the business. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's how it goes. Welcome to the biz, kids. Good Lord. Uh, but yeah, but, but uh, that sounds exactly like that. Well, if that's the, I mean, if he was mad because she wasn't getting it, I think she gave a tremendous performance. So, And that, was that a master stroke on, on the director's part of, yeah. you know, really pushing things to the limit and stretching these people out? Because, you know, you, you can also go in and read, you know, there's a, the, 
there's a scene early on with the kids eating food and they're really playing on the fact that Christina is sick and she's eating fish and she can't swallow it, doesn't want to swallow it. You know, there there's stories out there that says that he actually went out and bought spoiled fish to get an honest oh. reaction out of his own wife on the set. It's yeah. like, you know what? I don't know me to tell her this, right? It, it smells fishy, this, because it's <laughs> rotten fish. <laughs> Put it in your mouth. Go ahead. No, no, no. Swallow it. <laughs> something, something tells me David Mamet doesn't do that to Rebecca oh, Pitch. Oh, didn't, but, <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't know. You know, Rennie Harlan made Gina Davis's life hell of so, or whatever that, yeah, uh, Cutthroat, Cutthroat Island, Island yeah. whatever one of my wife's yeah, favorites. Cutthroat Island. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, sometimes it works. You got to get what you want. There's some the fantastic action. performances in this film. It really is. But I mean, I think that's, that's why it lasts. And so we're definitely at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So Chris, what are yours for Lay Davo Leak? Man, what an enjoyable film. I did to be able to sit there and, you know, not even have to worry about understanding it from a from an oral standpoint right i can just sit back and watch it mm-hmm. i can read along um and as you said if you miss a few things with the subtitles it's in, it's right in front of you so you you should be able to follow along with it i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought with with a couple of exceptions with cluzo's acting you know when she faints by the pool and when she flops like a dead fish solid performances all around you know you've got some really great strong characters uh, that that pull this thing together and really keep you going for a two-hour film, you know, from 1955. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can watch and you can keep going. I'd love to try and get my kids to watch it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I'm going to try <laughs> and give it a second watch here to, to, to watch it from the bent of, you know, Christina is the mastermind and she's the one pulling the strings all the way along here and see if I can get my wife to watch it with me without spoiling anything. But I, I think, again, for the most part, solid acting, Really good direction. Um, I would certainly recommend this to friends to watch. And it's in the Criterion Collection, which is something I didn't really know until we went back to watch this again. Um, which is, you know, outside of it being a foreign language film, surprised me that you hadn't uh, you hadn't reviewed this one or watched this one yet on the podcast. But overall, for me, I know uh, the last time I was on here, we watched uh, Event Horizon. I'm like, yeah, double XL popcorn, man. That was awesome because it was a popcorn movie. This one, I'm going to go with a medium popcorn. Um, As good as it is and as enthralled as I was with it, I don't think I could, you know, down a popcorn while watching this bad boy because I'm just (laughs) trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Who's who's who and where are we going and why is that guy hiding in the shadows? (laughs) You know, and how did he get his information? I want to know. Um, but I loved it. I, I, I think it was great. I think, you know, most people would really get a kick out of watching this film. Side theory on how he got his information. Christina's tipping him off the whole time and just sort of disguising her voice. Yeah. Just putting that out there. Ring, the ringing could, him could up on been. the candlestick phone. Yeah, could have been, could have been. Look, I, I'm so glad you brought this one up because, again, it's been on the list of, like, something I wanted to watch for years and now to finally be able to check it off and go, holy cow, the threads this one has through so many other things. I've got name dropped 10 films that, you know, reminded me of it or there are scenes of it that <clears throat> are definitely echoing it, whether directly or indirectly that's happening. The influence is certainly there. And it's there because you've got a director who clearly has got a vision and he drove everybody insane to get it, which is usually what happens <laughs> on those kind of films. And you've got actors that are able to handle it. All of our actors here, particularly our two leads, 
are magnificent in this movie and they have such great chemistry together they pull off all of their scenes well even the dead floppy fish mm-hmm. scene is it's funny but for 1955 <laughs> that's how people died on screen so I, i'm i'm good with it we're we're for years from the wild bunch and how you know that kind of stuff but but i liked it for that and i liked it mostly once i got over the fact of oh I, you know i can i follow along language wise with this all that kind of stuff once i got kind of through that and I just started absorbing it for what else. I was like, man, I'm really invested in this. Like, I want to know what happens. And to the point that when I had finished it, I got up early the next morning because I was like, I just, I just want to watch that again and not have to take notes. I just want to watch it and let it wash over me. And same kind of thing, you know, had a great reaction to it. And it's one of those fun ones to go back and go, what do you think happens? Like, I, I love your idea. Watch it with somebody mm-hmm. who hadn't seen it and go, what do you think? It's definitely a movie to have a conversation after. And that's a high compliment for a B noir thriller, which is what this is. I mean, and it is, it is the grandfather of a lot of trashy cinema. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. <laughs> um, and its own sequel is incredibly trashy. I do not recommend that 1996. No. It, is, it is almost the exact same thing. Kathy Bates is fun in it. Uh, Sharon Stone's fun in it. Chasbal Materi is creepy in it as he always is uh, but but it's not it's not it's just missing something it's missing some of the heart that this movie has uh, because it does kind of lean into the sleaze a little bit more and maybe more than it should but this movie totally holds up and works and i'm glad you brought it to the table i'm going to give it a large popcorn i think it's that good it's not perfect by any means but it's really good and i think because it influences so many other things i can't not give it a good nod so it's it's a strong one it's a lot of fun again recommend folks you watch this one with somebody who you don't tell anything to them about it say it's a murder mystery yes. that's all they need to know and and if you can tell don't tell them that it's in a foreign language just let that happen or if it's somebody you know is going to react strongly to that go like look to the different language we'll get over it after two minutes suck right notice. into it Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like Parasite. You you mentioned like, oh, I can't believe you hadn't done that one yet. We may have to knock that one out sometime later this year. But uh, same way, I knew going into that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to read this. That's all right. And I just did. And I didn't didn't think about it anymore. And it's, I feel the same way about like the the J horror stuff that I've watched, which has all been remade into American stuff. Like the the American murder. Yeah. The American version of Shudder is garbage. The Japanese version is actually really good. And it's on. I think it's on Shutter now. It's on a couple of other things or whatever. But it's it's worth worth a look, uh, even though you're you're gonna have to read it to go with it. But it's still worth it. Like Battle Royale yes. is a much cooler, interesting version than The Hunger Games. Yes, um, <laughs> mostly because it doesn't star yes, someone down. who looks like a dead deer. <laughs> um, so, so, oh, so yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of. Not a fan of J Law, but uh, that's another podcast for another day, perhaps. But yeah, large popcorn for me. A lot of fun. Chris, absolute blast talking to you again, man. Can't wait to have you back on talk another movie here and see what we could do. Uh, you know, we, we've had you on twice, man. Talk about a, a spectrum of things. Event Horizon and Lee Diabolique. Like, we, we have spanned it all inside of two reviews. <laughs> Try to get a little bit of, you know, sprinkle of everything in there. I, I grew up with my yeah, grandmother, yeah. and she's, she thought I was crazy because I'd be upstairs listening to Bing Crosby and Mozart and Metallica and, you know, Deicide. She's like, what are you yeah. doing up there? I'm like, I like it all. Give, give me anything. In, in the 30 for 30 guy voice, what if I told you there would be no Metallica and DSI if there weren't Mozart and Bean Crosby? Because no. they are all influenced. They, it's not, you know, I'll say that, that. That's a good metaphor for this movie. Heavy metal is not classical music, but 
if you're going to play heavy metal guitar, you, you got to understand some classical music theory because that stuff is not just thucka thucka thucka. Yeah, it's not just That's noise. A, like, you, They're doing a lot no, of stuff up you in listen there. To, you listen to Kirk Hammett play guitar. It's not just a wah pedal. He's got a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> you just don't do unless you understand that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, it's fun. It's fun to talk about this, though, and have another review here in the can. Folks, again, thanks for listening. You can find all of the episodes of this grand podcast on your favorite podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, Google, or all those places. You want to find a great list of all the stuff we've done? Go to our Letterboxd page. Ron has set that up for us now. You can find every review we've ever done. You can sort them by genre. You can sort them by release date of the film. You can sort them by release date of when we did the podcast. And there's a direct link to the podcast page where you can find all the places you can download it and stuff. You can go to filmstrippodcast.com to find all of that. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at filmstrippod for updates from the show hosts and stuff like that. And if you go to our, our Twitter page in particular and our um, Instagram page, you'll find a link tree that's got all the links where you can find our stuff and all the, you know, the places you can hang out with us, one of which is our new Discord. We've kind of gotten into doing the Discord thing now. So if you want to come and just throw a quick you know, shout to the uh, the host, a lot of us sort of uh, ply around in there throughout the days. We'll carry on a conversation with you. Or if you want to watch us talk about the random stuff that all of us talk about offline, you can see it all there uh, for your perusal. But we appreciate your support. So until next time, for Chris, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.